Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, CityWalk. How are you guys doing? Guys online, I can't hear you, but I'm hoping that you're doing well, staying warm, uh, probably still in your pajamas. We're all kind of envious a little bit. Uh, But I hope you are having a good weekend so far. Before we dive into our uh, message today, I wanted to kind of let you in on kind of what's going on over the next few weeks at church. Uh, If you didn't already know, uh, next week we're going to have hot chocolate and some stuff kind of here at church, and we're going to have some special stuff, some food and some stuff. But then on the 23rd, so you've heard us say Christmas Eve, and it's because out of habit, we're not... If, you're, if you show up on Christmas Eve here, you'll be joining the Seventh-day Adventist Church's Christmas Eve service, which they would love that, and that's probably going to be a great service. But what we're going to do this year is on the 23rd, we're going to offer two services. We're going to have a 5 o'clock service and a 7 o'clock service. It's going to be candlelight. We're going to do some special things for the kids, and it's going to be a really good time. On your way out, if this is home for you, if City Walk's home for you, uh, you saw we have some yard signs. We've got some door hangers for you to take to put out on your neighbors, uh, uh, kind of put on their doors. And then we've got several invite cards. And I want to encourage you to grab it. Those things do us no good sitting on that table. So grab some of those, get them out into the city. And then next Saturday at 930, we're going to meet here at the church. And we have about 800 door hangers that we're going to spend about an hour and a half going through these neighborhoods and hanging those door hangers on doors. And it's going to be a really good time. And one thing that I hope we never take for granted is a simple invite can literally change someone's eternity. A simple 30 seconds of courage can change somebody's eternity. Yesterday at the Christmas stroll, we were there. A lot of you were there. We were passing out invite cards. And there was a, a Sikh lady that we met. And she, we invited her to church. And she literally said this. No one has ever invited me to church. I've been waiting for someone to invite me. And then I would come. And I was like, shame on us. That we've, you've literally in your life never gotten invited to church. And, and so get a few invite cards, grab some door hangers, get a yard sign, and let's get the word out and let's fill those two services at 5 and 7 on the 23rd. It's going to be a good time. Uh, you guys know that Christmas for kids, and we saw it this morning, always good to have kids. And I was, it was fun to watch you parents. I was back there. And a lot of you parents are like, you know, and you got your thing. You're singing, but you're also taping at the same time. It was fun to watch. But, but we like having our kids involved in, in the service, and we love having our kids involved because this season, kids add a lot of energy. They add a, add a lot of excitement to the Christmas season. 
whether it's, you know, cuddling up on the couch and watching a Christmas special or getting in the car and driving around and looking at lights or jumping out of bed like crazy stressed out because you forgot to move the elf the night before and you got to get out and move it. For that. That's what we do at our house so that when Kate wakes up, it's in a new place and the elf moved and we're kind of keeping that lie alive at least for a few more years. But, but kids add a lot of excitement. They add a lot of joy. They add a lot of intrigue to this season. And, and, and you know that because for many of us, some of our fondest and most maybe crystal clear memories surround the holidays, even as kids. Uh, for you, it may be, you, were, you may remember setting up your tree as a kid. You may remember where you went and bought your tree or where the box that you would pull out of the attic. And you remember clearly, you know, putting up your tree. For some of you, and you, you look forward to around the holidays, there would be certain relatives that would come to town and you, you look forward to aunt so-and-so or grandma coming and because it was around the holidays and you remember it being excited about that. For some, you remember watching your favorite Christmas specials, and this was before streaming, and so you actually had to like, at 7.30 on Tuesday night, Charlie Brown's Christmas is going to be on, and so you, you would get excited and look forward to Rudolph on Thursday night, and, and you remember that as a kid. Uh, for some, you, you remember getting the bike that you always wanted, or not getting the bike you thought you were going to get, and instead getting socks. And you remember that vividly because around Christmas, a lot of our memories uh, as kids, man, that we, we remember those. And in the midst of all the traditions and in the midst of all the things that you remember and that were exciting to you, there was this manger scene. And if you didn't grow up in a, in a home where people were kind of a faith home, then maybe it wasn't in your home, but when you went to your friend's house, there was... A manger scene in the house, a little nativity set, or maybe maybe the neighbor down the yard, or down the road in their yard, they had a, a a manger scene set up. Or you would go to maybe drive by the church on the corner, and there was a manger scene, and and then you would walk into stores, and and you would hear about the manger scene and songs, and 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 you it was just kind of out there. Whether you're a person of faith or not, there was this manger scene. And it seemed from the pictures and from the cute nativity sets and from the songs you would hear at the stores that the birth of Jesus, even if you didn't buy into it, at least the, the birth of Jesus as was being presented to you seemed to be a, a pretty calm, clean, uneventful night. You saw cuddly animals and a straw-filled manger and a happy young couple and Again, whether you bought into the whole thing or not, that's kind of the picture that you got as you looked at these manger scenes and you heard them, you heard it sung about. But, and this is a question we started to ask ourselves last week, what if the manger scene wasn't silent? What, what if it wasn't calm? What if it didn't smell fresh and clean? What if it wasn't as uneventful as we kind of make it out to be? What if beyond what we could see, there was actually a war going on that was anything but clean and cuddly? What if the Christmas that we didn't see was a different kind of Christmas? And what if it looked different 
than maybe what we thought. Last week, we, we looked at how the Christmas story, it, it didn't start with a baby in a manger. Instead, it started many years earlier with a couple and a snake. And if you, you remember, several thousand years ago, before the manger scene, there was Adam and Eve. And we talked a little bit about that. And if you, you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you're watching online, and you probably heard of Adam and Eve, and a little bit about creation, and what, what followers of Jesus believe. And, and Adam and Eve, they were the, the first people on earth. And man, for a while, their relationship was perfect with each other. Their relationship with God was perfect. It was great. They had never experienced disappointment. They had never experienced shame or evil. They, they, they just had, it wasn't even on their radar. They didn't even have a context for those things. But that all changed when Satan, the enemy, came to them in the form of a snake. And, and he had a very subtle but powerful strategy. And his strategy was this, that his goal was to use questions to get them to wonder if God was trustworthy. And so he asked questions, and he, his hope was that in his questioning, that they would begin to believe his lies and not believe God, not believe truth. And that's exactly what happened they began to believe the lies, and they forgot about the truth, and, and so sin entered the world. And this didn't take God by surprise. He wasn't like, oh, man, I did not see that one coming. No, no, it didn't take him by surprise. He wasn't upset. He wasn't nervous. He didn't get anxious. Instead, see, God, he had a plan. He had a plan that would actually usher in what we celebrate at Christmas. And he talked about that plan for the very first time in a verse we talked about a little bit last week. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God pointed to the future as he was talking to Eve and Adam and to Satan right after they had sinned. It says this, God said, I, I will put hostility or war between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. Basically what God was saying is, hey, Satan, the, the people and your forces and Eve, your descendants are going to be at war. There's going to be hostility. But then he said this, let me, let me tell you about Christmas. Let me tell you about what's going to happen. He said, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Here's what he's saying. Hey, Satan, one day, one day, a few thousand years in the future, one day, one of Eve's descendants is going to come. He, he's going to be my son, and, and he's going to come, and he's going to come to earth, and he's going to live, he's going to die, he's going to rise from the dead. And when he does... Yeah, you'll, you'll make him suffer for a little bit, and there'll be a little suffering on his part, but he is going to put you out. He's going to crush your head. It's going to be over for you. And he pointed to Christmas. He pointed to the future. See, when Satan saw Jesus in a manger, he saw the beginning of the end for him. It didn't look cuddly to him, and he was not having it. For him, it was the beginning of the end. And though the enemy has been defeated because Jesus did come, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross and rose from the grave, 
because he's been defeated until he's ultimately destroyed, his goal is the same. It's simply this. He, he wants to hijack God's plan and bring about destruction. His strategy for you, if you're watching online, his strategy for me, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, his strategy is the same today as it was when Christmas was introduced in Genesis 3.15. It's simply this. His strategy is he wants you and I to question God. He wants us to believe lies, which leads us to a pretty simple question that we talked about a little bit. Simply this, what lie are you believing? What lie am I believing? If, if Satan's strategy is the same as it was back when he was with Adam and Eve, if it's to get us to question God and believe lies instead of truth, then, then what lie do I believe frequently? What lie do you believe? And, and, if you're, and maybe right off the top of your head, you're like, oh, I don't think I believe lies. But here's what I, I, I would guess. If you and I, whether you're online or you're here this morning, if you were to sit down and really think about, hey, what are some of the lies in my thinking that I believe on a regular basis? I, I would guess that all of us would probably come up with more than we would like to admit. That, that we believe lies and we live our life based on some of those lies even when we don't think about it. And I think one of the, the lies that I, that I think all of us have believed at one time, and we may be believing even right now, is this. And I think this is one of the biggest lies that the enemy uses to bring us down, and it's simply this. God's love for me is based on my performance for him. And you, you might read that and be like, isn't that how it is? And because that sounds good, that, that sounds like, oh yeah, that, that's kind of the way it should be. And, and what Satan's tried to have us do is he, he wants us to believe that God's love for us is based on our performance for him. He, that's what he wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that, man, if I do all the right things, and I stay away from all the wrong things. If I really do a good job with those right things, then God's going to love me. But if I mess up, man, if, if, if I get on God's bad side until I make it up to him, until I do a lot more good things, he's going to love me less. It's kind of the, the scale approach to our relationship with God. It's, and, and you've heard that. You've, you've maybe even believed that. Like, it's kind of like a scale in your mind. You thought, man, well, if I, you know, I drank a little too much last night and I said some things I shouldn't have, but today I'm going to go to church. So, okay, and I'll even pick up an invite card and I'll give one of those out. And okay, I think I'm going to outweigh my, I think God's going to love me because I'm doing all the right things. And I know I've done some wrong things, but I think I've done more right things. And so I think God loves me more. But when we believe this lie, what happens is when we believe this lie that God's love for me is based on my performance, it breeds in us things like pride. We, we begin to compare ourselves to each other. We begin to say, you know what? Wish they'd get their stuff together like I have my stuff together. And we almost get proud. It, it also breeds discouragement. 
Maybe because we, we, we've had, we, we lose and we've, we've struggled with so many things and we think, man, I'm never going to get victory in this. And so how is God going to ever love me? And I, I, I can't get all my stuff together. So God's got to be mad at me. And so we get discouraged or we feel shame. It's like, I'm so bad. I, I can't even go to God. I, I've done so much stuff and I, I just can't seem to get it together. And so we, we kind of walk around in shame. And we even come to church sometimes and kind of feel like we're in shame because we just don't feel like we can get it together. But if we're going to have a different kind of Christmas... We're going to have to be able to identify the lies that we're believing, and we're going to have to replace them with truth. Because every single one of us, whether you're online or you're here this morning, every single one of us struggles with believing lies on a regular basis. And there was this guy in, in the New Testament, is his name, and you've heard of him, and even if you didn't grow up in church, you may have heard of this guy. His name was Paul. And Paul was one of those guys that uh, he, he actually wrote a lot of the New Testament, but man, he had a backstory like probably nobody else in the New Testament. See, when Paul was a little younger, his name was actually Saul. And he was like the kingpin rule keeper. Like nobody kept the rules as good as him. He was the principal's pet, man. He did everything right. He checked all the right boxes. And he had little tolerance for people that didn't keep the rules the way he did and didn't believe the way he did. He had no tolerance to the point where he tried to eliminate them, like kill them, get them in jail. He, he couldn't handle it. But then he met Jesus. He met Jesus as he was literally on his way to take some people out that weren't following the rules and believe in the way that he believed and when he met Jesus, his life was transformed. And several decades later, he wrote a letter to a group of people in, in the city of Ephesus. And he wrote a letter to encourage them with this idea of what grace is. And, and this idea of how, how they earn God's love or don't earn God's love. He, he talked about that because they were struggling with it. And, and he says this in his letter to the Ephesian people, and he wrote this letter, and he, and he starts this letter, this portion of the letter, and he starts it with like a, some not very Merry Christmas words. Like he starts it kind of rough. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's like Merry Christmas from Paul. Here we go. He says, you were dead. And when he uses that word dead, he's basically saying, hey, you are spiritually dead. You are separated from God because of your sin, because you've chosen to do things your way, you're dead. You're not alive spiritually. See, as a result, and you know this if you have little kids, as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, every single one of us was born with a sin nature. See, see, we don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's just the way it is. Like, you don't have to teach your little kid to be selfish. Like, you don't have to have a class on that in preschool. Like, let me show you how to be selfish. It just comes naturally. I remember one of our kids, our, my oldest, my son, when, when he was a little, little guy, probably two years old, at our church in Lakeland, 
uh, he, you know, nursery, all this stuff. We, we went to church, dropped a kid off in the nursery. And then you, you remember when they were, there was kind of like the walk of shame for parents. When they would put your number up on the screen and uh, everybody would kind of watch you get up and like, well, is your kid being bad in the nursery because you're getting called away? Or does he just have a diaper that's so bad they don't want to change it? But, but you know, kind of that walk of shame. And so, you know, we, we, we went to the nursery and go, go to the nursery. And I think it was my wife that actually went. There was all these little kids are crying in the nursery. Like, huh, interesting. Oh, a bad day in the nursery, I guess. Let's get some better animal crackers or whatever to make this a little better. And, and they're, they're like, you know, your, your son, he's, he's biting. He bit. Okay, I see. So Lori goes, so which one did he bite? And they literally said, just pick one. Pick, pick a kid. Pick a kid. And, and so my son, he actually got grounded from the nursery, not by us, but by our church for a few weeks. And then my wife had to go sit in the nursery with them the first few times back because he was kind of on probation. But, but we, we didn't have to sit down with Austin at two years old and say, hey, buddy, We've got a reward system for every kid you bite today. There's a dollar waiting for you at home. We didn't have to do a seminar on that. No. See, he, he just he's a cute little kid, but inside he was a sinner. Nobody had to teach him to be a little selfish. That was just the way it is. And if you have kids and you're probably like punching your husband right now, you didn't have to teach your husband to be selfish. We come by it naturally. We're sinners. We don't Sin, we, we sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners because of our sin. So that, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you, you were dead. You weren't alive spiritually. You are separated from God. You can't do anything about it. You're hopeless. Thanks, Paul. Merry Christmas to you too. And, and then he goes on and he kind of talks. He, he reminds them of their life before Christ. He says, in which you previously walked. This is how you used to be, he says, According to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, he says, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And he says this in verse three, we too all previously lived them in our selfish, lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children of under wrath as the others were also. Basically, here's what Paul's saying is, you were dead. The agenda that you ran on, the attitudes you had, the selfish desires that you basically built your whole life around, it was the agenda of the evil one. That's how we all lived. And Paul's including himself. Like we were separated from God. We were dead. We were spiritually. There wasn't like Hey, I, I'm going to help myself out. Like, I couldn't help myself out. I was dead. I was just doing what was, came naturally to me. I, you had a selfish attitude. I, I had an agenda that didn't please God. And Paul's saying, you remember, that's how we were. And, and they're probably like reading the letter like, yeah, I do, man. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, that's the way I was. I remember that. And, and he says this. At the end of this phrase, or at the end of this kind of passage, he says, you were by nature children under wrath. Basically, instead of having a close relationship with God, you were standing toe-to-toe with God's wrath. Like, that's where we all were, Paul's saying. We were dead. We couldn't help ourselves. 
We were selfish. We were going on the agenda of the evil one. And we were standing toe-to-toe with God, giving him the finger, and standing toe-to-toe with his wrath. That's where we were. That's what he's saying. He's saying, that's, that's it. And if Paul was like, okay, that's the end of the letter, be rough. Be a rough way to have Christmas. It'd be hopeless. But, but Paul, he didn't stop there. He didn't stop, because if, if he did, it would have been hopeless. But Paul understood in order to better explain the good news and to really explain what grace is and how much God loves you, you really have to understand how bad you were and how bad off you were. Because I think sometimes, if we're honest, whether you grew up in church or not, we misunderstand grace. And here's why. We think too much of ourselves and we think less of God than we should We think of ourselves as like, we're decent people. Like, I know this whole dead inside. I know, I definitely know some people that that, they would qualify for that. But not me. I mean, I'm a little, I kind of wanted God. And I I, I wasn't a bad person. And so we kind of start to think of ourselves. And so that's why we got a bunch of people walking through our city and around our country that aren't sure they totally need God. Because I do pretty good on my own. I I do enough good stuff. I'm a pretty good person. And what Paul's saying is, yeah, you look good on the outside, but inside you are dead. You're spiritually dead. But then here's what he does. He says, let me me turn and let me give you the good news. And he says this, but God, who is rich in mercy... What's mercy? It's undeserved kindness. It's compassion for people that can't help themselves. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. He says, you were dead. You couldn't help yourself. You were running down the wrong path as hard as you could. You were standing toe to toe with God's wrath. But God who was rich in mercy who loved you, but God. If there was no but God, it would have been over. But God stepped in. Because of his great love that he had for us, it says this in verse 5, he made us alive with our help. Is that what it says? He he partnered with us in, in us coming alive. No, that's not what it says. It was 100% him and 0% us. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. And he says this, you are saved by grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor. Unmerited, that means there's, we didn't 1% earn it, the best of us didn't 5% earn it. We all gave, brought 0% to the table. Unmerited favor, God showed us. Because of that unmerited favor, we were made alive. He didn't look down and say, well, there's a few that I like and a few good ones. And, you know, she's a pretty good person. So we're going to go ahead and bring her onto the team. And, dude, I think, I think he could play a real good part in our kingdom thing. And so we, we need him. And, and, man, that one... They're not quite a starter. They might be on the JV team, but we definitely want them on the team too. I mean, they bring a lot to the table. It wasn't like that. It was like, 
everyone brings nothing to the table, but I love them. I'm merciful, and so I'm going to bring them into my family. And, and he says, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Basically what Paul's saying, he's trying to help them understand this. He says, man, God, God saved you. He's made you alive because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love. And you have, you have followed by faith. You have believed. You've trusted. And then he says, and, and you know what you're like? You're like a trophy for God. You're like something he's proud of. You're a trophy today, and you're going to be a trophy forever of his grace. Remember when you were a little kid and you were so proud of your trophies? Like now you don't even know where they are. And God's not like that. So you're not going to go in a box later and be like, oh, I think they're back in the attic getting dust. No, no, no. But remember when you were a little kid and you went, even if you were the worst player on the baseball team, the end of the year, you went to a little baseball pizza party and everybody got a trophy. And, and man, you were a little kid. You were so excited. You showed your grandma your trophy. You, you were proud of your trophy. You put it somewhere on, where people could see it. You looked at it. You might have slept with it. I mean, you loved your trophy. This was what God's, Paul's saying. He's saying, you know what you're like for God? You're like his trophy. He's so proud. You show how gracious he is and how merciful. You're like a beautiful trophy. That, that to, when people look at it, they just think of how gracious he is and how merciful he is and how loved you are. And, and almost as, as Paul's kind of finishing this section, he's like, how do I just, I, I've said a lot, I know, I've started with some really bad news and then I threw a lot of things and actually this is like an extremely long sentence, like one through seven verses was one sentence. And so if you're an English teacher, you're like, Paul, come on, dude, get this together. I mean, he's just like, I just got to tell you this whole thing, and he didn't stop. But then as he gets to verse 8, he's like, let me, I just, I mean, there's a few in the crowd, they don't get it, and let me, let me just summarize it for him. Let me just give it to him straight. And he says this in verse 8, he says, for you are saved. That word saved, it means you're delivered from God's wrath. You are saved by grace, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift. It's God's gift. He says you're saved by grace, through faith, and it has nothing to do with you. You, you didn't work for it. It's a gift. Here in the next few weeks, it probably has already started happening. You've started to go to some parties and some holiday things and and you brought a gift and and on christmas day you're going to give out gifts and maybe you're going to go over to grandma's at night and you're going to bring a pile of gifts and you're going to have them for people and here's what you're not going to do i promise you're not going to walk in with your bag of gifts and set them down and get out your receipt book and say okay uh nephew so-and-so here's your gift that's going to be uh 1345 Go ahead. Let me, I'll write your receipt. Don't worry about that. You, for your tax guy, get that to you. All right, Grandma, I got you something nice this year. It's, it's going to be 63 
yeah, let me, here you go. Let me get that for you. Let me get that receipt for you, Grandma. I'll actually take a picture of it so you can have this receipt in case you lose the paper. Like, that's not going to happen. That your grandma would punch you if you did that, or worse. And my, my grandma, if, if she were alive, she would she'd be like, what? Probably say some words that you're not allowed to say in church at me. I mean, that, that's what would have happened. Because when you give someone a gift, they didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to pay anything for it. It's a gift. It's free. And this is what Paul's saying. Is he's writing to them. He's saying, man, this is God's gift to you. You didn't have to pay for it. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't even have to be good to get it. It's a gift. And then he, then he closes up and he says, the reason God did it this way was so that it's not by works, so that nobody would boast. Because I know you humans, if you find some reason to brag, you're going to brag. And if so, this, if this thing was about you at all, you, you'd get excited about that and you'd be, you'd be bragging about yourself. And so this thing is absolutely free so nobody can brag, nobody can boast. It's free, it's a gift. And then what he does is at the very end is he says, because where does good works come in? Like where does the work part come in? He's like, all right, I'm saved by grace. I can just kind of go live how I want, do my thing. I'm saved. Well, is that how it works? And here's what Paul says in the very next verse. Look at verse 10. He says this. For we are his workmanship. So that word workmanship is kind of like, and I don't understand this because I'm not an artist, but masterpiece. You're his work of art. You're his, you're his masterpiece. You're his workmanship. And it says this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we're his masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not, well, if you want to do good works. No, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this is one of the coolest parts of this whole passage. Which God prepared ahead of time, and that's my tree, uh, which... You're going to see, I get, we gave it away a little early. You wanted to see my orange tree. Uh, just a second. You'll get to see it again, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So if you're a follower of Jesus in eternity past, God knew you were going to follow him and he prepared ahead of time, specific good works for you to do individually, not in general, no, specifically he prepared good works for you as his child to do see good works are the fruit of a heart that god has made alive good works are the fruit of salvation they're not the cause of it and that's so important that we understand and let's let's throw my orange tree up there so my orange tree this is our orange tree so if you you need some oranges Come by. We'll get you taken care of. This is my orange tree in my backyard. And if you were to look at this tree with no oranges on it, you might not know that it's an orange tree. But, but here's what we do know. Those oranges grow on that tree because it's an orange tree. 
That tree didn't become an orange tree when an orange showed up. It's like, we're not sure what this tree is going to be, but, oh, it's a, the orange came, so now that makes it an orange tree. No, it was an orange tree, and because it was an orange tree, guess what grew on it? Not apples, oranges. Because it was an orange tree, the fruit that automatically came was oranges. And you're like, Doug, Chris, what are you trying to say? Well, here's the thing. Because of salvation, because of your relationship with Jesus, what should automatically come in your life are good works. You, you, don't, you don't get a relationship with God because you do good works. It's because you have a relationship with God that you do good works. It's just the fruit. It's just what automatically happens when you're a follower of Jesus. If you don't do good things and if your life doesn't, doesn't look like Jesus, then you might not have a relationship with Jesus. Because the scriptures say when you become a follower of Jesus, you become new on the inside and God has prepared good works that will naturally come out of your life. You don't earn grace, you serve from grace. Do you understand that? See, see we serve, let me say it this way. We serve from God's love, not for God's love. We do good things because we are loved extravagantly by God. Not so we will be loved extravagantly by God. So here's the best news of the day. On your worst day, God doesn't love you any less than he did on your best day. That's exciting. On your best day... God doesn't love you anymore. He loves you. You didn't earn his love, neither did I. But he loves us so extravagantly that when we were dead, he said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to make them alive because I'm merciful, because I'm loving, because I'm gracious. And not so that you and I could ever boast, but so that we could be people that don't live for Jesus, but let Jesus live his life through us. Because of his great love, we do it from love, not for love. So, so here's something to think about, because we've all experienced this. Whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're not sure what you believe about this whole thing, all of us understand what it feels like to be in a relationship that's based on performance. Some of you, you've been hurt by family, you've been hurt by friends, you, you may have been even hurt by the church because your acceptance was hinged on your performance. And so when you performed well, when you did all the right things, you were loved. When you didn't do all the right things and you didn't perform or, or kind of according to the code, you were left. And, and you, some of you, you've been hurt by that. And we all know, we, we all know what it's like to be in a relationship that, and nobody would maybe say it out loud, but in our hearts, we know like, hey, when I do the right things, this thing goes well. And if I mess up, this thing's gone. We know what that's like. And so what we do, because we have these other relationships in our life, we kind of put that on God too. And we, and we take what we've experienced in other relationships and we think God's the same way. And so we begin to believe this lie that God's love for me is based on my performance for him. And as a result, we, we, we walk through life defeated, full of guilt, anxiety. 
But here's the question. How would this Christmas be different if you and I stopped believing the lie and replaced it with the truth that Paul talked about in Ephesians? Think about what Paul said. He said, we were dead. We weren't a little alive. We were dead, separated. God demonstrated his love by bringing us to life. He showed us his love by 100% of him and 0% of us bringing us alive. And, And our relationship with God is based on his grace, his unmerited favor. Another way to say it is God's love for me is based on who he is, not what I've done. Because honestly, if if it was based on what I've done, it wouldn't go well. I'm guessing it wouldn't go well for you either. But God's love for me is based on who he is, which doesn't change. Not what I've done. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've, uh, if you're honest, you've had some examples in your life where you were, you were told, hey, if you could keep this list and do all these things, and if you could not do all these things, then you would be accepted. And so for you, maybe you just got tired of it. Maybe you walked away from it. Maybe you never wanted anything to do with the church or with God because that's what the examples you had. It was very performance-driven. It's like, I just don't have time or energy for that. If that's you, would you be willing to reconsider would you be willing to reconsider and at least ask yourselves the question, I mean, is it different? Could it be different? Because God, he loved you so much. that, And he didn't just say he loved you. He proved he loved you by sending his son. His son came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And at the age of 33, he died on the cross. He bled not for his sin, but for my sin and your sin. They put his body in a grave And his body rose from that grave, and he's alive today. And he did that not because he didn't have anything else to do, but he did that because he wanted to make a way for you and I to have a relationship with him that's not based on your performance, but it's based on his love and his grace. And so if you're here or you're watching online, and man, you find yourself looking back at some of the examples of God and church and and, and it being very performance-driven, would you just reconsider that maybe it's different? Maybe the Jesus you walked away from or maybe the Jesus you rejected isn't even the Jesus of the Bible. Would you reconsider? Maybe this Christmas could be different. You say, Chris, how would I start a relationship with Jesus? It's, it's simple. He, he's, just at, he's just waiting. You got to just be willing to admit to God that you've sinned. You got to be willing to say, Yes, God, I've disobeyed you. Yes. Shocker. You got to be willing to believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he did that for you. And then you just got to come to him and just come to him and say, God, man, I. I admit that I've sinned. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose from the grave. Come into my life. I want a relationship with you that's not based on who I am, but it's based on who you are. You can do that right now. Just in the quietness of this room, you can cry out to God in your heart. If you're watching online and you can invite Jesus into your life based on what he did for you. Maybe you're here, and I know several of you, you're you're already a follower of Jesus. There's been a time in your life when you have made that decision. 
But if you're honest, and you need to be honest, if you're not, it doesn't help. If you're honest, you, you, you find yourself believing the lie that God's love for you is tied to your performance. Like, as long as I write, write the check today, it's, I think God's good with me. If, as long as I do the deal, I come to church a few times a, a month, I, I, it's, I think I'm good with God. And, and in your mind, you kind of think that way, even if you don't want to admit it. And instead of walking through life proud or discouraged because of this lie, what if you stop believing it? What if instead of focusing on your performance, you focused on your relationship with God? What if you spent time with God not to check a box, but to get to know Him? What if you stopped trying to live for Jesus and just allowed Jesus to live his life through you? What if it was like you just going, I mean, you do this with other people. Sometimes we complicate it with God, but what if you just opened your Bible just like you would be sitting across the table at a coffee shop with your best friend and just learned about God? What if you just opened your Bible tomorrow morning and instead of reading it, trying to Get a, get a nugget for my day or instead of reading it because I think I'm supposed to do that so the people at church are happy with me, just open it up like you're sitting across the table from your best friend at Starbucks and just get to know God. What if when you prayed it wasn't a, I have to change voices and use big words. What if it was just, I'm talking to my friend. I'm telling my friend what's on my heart. I'm asking for wisdom. I'm just building a relationship and then from that relationship, the rest takes care of itself. What if this Christmas could be different? And it can be if we are willing to pinpoint those lies and replace them with truth. If we don't, then we're going to continue walking through life feeling guilty, feeling shame, feeling proud of ourselves because we're a little better than the guy we sit next to at church, all which are tragic. But it doesn't have to be that way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the letter that Paul wrote uh, to the Ephesian people, Lord. And we're so thankful that as we think about you and as we think about how much you love us, that we don't have to earn your love. We don't deserve your love, and we can't earn it. We don't have to earn it. But it was all because of your great love. It was because of your mercy. It was because of your grace. It was because of your work that we, just, that we had the opportunity to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that if we're here this morning or we're watching online and we don't have a relationship with you, would you just even in this moment draw us? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and, and you don't have a relationship with God and you'd like to start one, just like I said earlier, you can just in the quietness of this room or if you're watching online, you can just tell God in your heart, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose for me. And I just want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Just tell him. Just tell him in your own words. Invite him into your life. If you're here and, and today you made that decision or if you have questions about that decision or you just want to talk to somebody, 
There's a decision card right in front of you that you can just fill out. You can put it in the offering basket on the way out. And we'll, we'll just send you a text or call you this week and just check in with you and help you understand your decision or maybe answer your questions if you have some questions. If you're watching online, you can just go to citywalk.cc and there's a card there. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and, and maybe if you're honest, you found yourself believing the lie. You wake up feeling guilty in the morning. You go to bed feeling shameful. You come and maybe you feel some pride sometimes because you're maybe a little better than somebody else. And, and you know those aren't right. But maybe in this moment, you would just confess those to God and, and say, God, this week, help me to focus on my relationship, not my performance. Because that's all God wants. Lord, I pray that you would lead us into a closer relationship with you that radically transforms our mind and heart. In Jesus' name, amen.